gentlemen, you are both drunk on cosmic wine. Welcome to the show. I'm Dr. Mark Sylvester. And I'm Dr. Richard Schulman. This, this is, is All Psych. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're live right now. Live on tape. Welcome to the Thunder, Thunder, Thunderdome. Is that live on tape? Is that like jumbo shrimp? Yeah. Military like intelligence, mental health professional. A little bit like that. Okay. But I feel better already. We have a very special guest today. But first, I want to start with our moment of Zen. Oh, wait. I mean, mental wealth tip. What's the difference? There it is, our moment of Zen. Um, the mental wealth tip today has to do with a sort of a translation of what Einstein is supposed to have said that if you repeat something and expect different results, uh, that's a definition of insanity. No, it's actually a definition of child conditioning. We repeat what we know, we live in patterns. So in order to have a different result, we need to break the pattern. And that's your mental wealth tip of the day. So I hope you feel a lot richer now. Thank you, Sticky Ricky. And now, without further ado, we have a special guest today, an expert in what we call brain training, and maybe neurofeedback as well. The one, the only, Mr. Burt Bacharach. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, oh wow, this is awkward. Oh, we couldn't get Burt, we couldn't get Burt. Well, who the hell is this, his brother? Um, no, look, the wrong guy. Okay. it was all I could do. It was short notice. Now, come on, okay. give him okay. a break. Um, is, is this thing on Mr. Bacharach? Uh, welcome to the show. Is. Welcome to the show. You actually hung in there. This is nickel Bacharach. Ah, whew. similar close, no cigar, but similar. I bet that's the first time you've had that reference in your entire life. Today, it is the first time today. We're a dying breed who know who we're referring to when we say bird. Yeah, you're really, there aren't that many, you know, there aren't that many of us still alive. Check and mate. Okay. <laughs> so we have uh, an excited audience, you know, between my mom and then I'm pretty sure maybe one of my third cousins also watches the show, but they're very interested in biofeedback, neurofeedback, the whole concept of brain training as it relates to consciousness and our ability to influence, control, manipulate, target certain states, all for the non-ordinary mind. Cue graphics. We don't, do we have, oh, okay. <laughs> I thought I thought this was for non-ordinary mind, but okay. Um, all right, and now for a moment from our sponsors. Oh, nice. Okay, Nickel, please. Where can I begin? What got you into this field and what is it? Um, what it is is an opportunity for the brain to reference itself. Um, what got me into it was <clears throat> my father. He had Parkinson's, developed Parkinson's-related dementia. Uh, the only thing that we found that worked was neurofeedback. And um, I recognized with the restoration of my father that this is something that I needed to get involved in. I was working in um, breath therapy before, and this gave me access to the work that I knew I wanted to do, but wasn't certain how to get to. So, 
when I say it's an opportunity for the brain to reference itself, um, plainly stated, so electrodes are placed on the scalp, information is fed from them to a computer and that information is the electrical impulses of your brain and the information is fed back from the computer to you either through your eyes or your ears or both and your brain changes its behavior based on the interaction it has with the computer biofeedback would be electrodes placed on different parts of the body where those sensors are reading electrical impulses coming off of muscular tension that feedback gives you a chance to recognize a part of the body that's tight. In this case, it's the brain. And you are only peripherally involved. You are in your prefrontal and frontal cortex. And those two cortices aside, the rest of the brain is doing a whole bunch of stuff to support our experience of life. Sometimes with our help, most of the time without our help. Neurofeedback gives your brain a chance to reference itself. Your brain, not just the parts that you can get to. So I've always wondered this part here, why, why is it that we live here, that our awareness lives here? Like for most people, when they close their eyes and you ask, where are you? Point with one finger. They don't point to their chin. They don't point to the top of their head. They don't point to the bottom of their foot. Most people feel like they're right here. Why, why, why? Uh, number one, I don't know. Number two, we have been able to identify that character and personality as we understand it exist what differentiates me from you from richard from the man in the moon from my wife from my dog from my son uh is here i like vanilla i don't like liver exists here once you get beyond this the brain is very active in supporting our entire experience of life however um what you like and what you don't like the rest of the brain doesn't really care about so kind of could we say the ego is frontal cort uh, frontal lobe or prefrontal cortex Good part of the show sure sure i think trying to versus subconscious again sure um are you always disagreeable sir what i recognize is here's everything the brain does here's our entire experience of life Here's everything else the brain is doing that we're hopefully blissfully unaware of. So when we describe something, we're trying to put it over here in what we understand, what we think. And uh, it's trying to describe something that's beyond description. So ego, sure. Um, the id, sure. <laughs> I think it's impossible to describe everything that makes this what it is. And the divine storm that we see when we place electrodes on the head and watch that, which composes your entire experience of life, is fascinating. The really neat part about it is watching someone's experience of life change um, before their eyes. Yeah, and I kind of wish we could have demonstrated it on, on the, on the mm. show, but like a demonstration, the way I'm picturing it is, is I get some EEG, maybe a, maybe a, like a like a swimmer's cap or something really cool, something sexy, you know. You got it. Uh, well suited to your eye color. Right, exactly. right. Something that really complements my uh, peepers. And then it gives you this baseline, what you refer to as uh, brain mapping on your first visit. Um, and then you you use a computer interface, right, to both um, try to change the EEG. You're connecting kind of two parts of, I guess, the brain that wouldn't normally be aware of each other. Is For that example, sure. Let's say we're training. 
let's say we're doing an eyes open design where you'd be wanting to manage executive function, specifically the ability for the brain to focus on a task at hand, not to the exclusion of all else, but simply to focus. So you'd be working here. You'd also be wanting to work in the, so in the left frontal, you'd also wanna work in the right parietal. Uh, think of the right parietal in this case, kind of like the guy or the gal, the person at the end of the tug of war line, the one who we wrap the rope around, who you know is gonna be the anchor and no one's gonna move us. That would be this part of the brain when you're focusing. So we would train these two parts simultaneously. What it looks like is I would give the individual a video to watch something interesting, but not arousing, not, not concerning, something engaging, but something that doesn't put you on the edge of your seat and, oh no, what's gonna happen next? And while they're watching the video, for example, um, the light, the backlight of the video will dim. They'll still hear the activity, whatever the audio is in the video, but the, active, the, the light, the backlight will, will actually dim. And it is this portion of the brain or this, por this portion of the brain not performing according to the parameters that we would have expected. And when the brain does perform, uh, the feedback that the brain gets is the screen gets lit again. Um, we call it training because it's a series of repetitive actions so that the brain finds its way to, oh, I like this experience of life likelihood of being able to achieve that and keep it after one session mm, you probably need repetition involved in that much as the training part thus well as, as a person who's done this it's it's kind of a remarkable thing um and i don't know if you were going to talk about the different brain states nickel um you don't actually think about it it just kind of happens you know, and, and uh, I found that I could get to certain brain states very, very quickly once I, once I had a few sessions under my belt. And I will say the first one, the typical first visit, I don't know if there's a typical first visit, but my typical first visit was uh, like being on LSD or something. I came out of it so stoned. I was stoned for a couple of days uh, afterwards. And I think my brain was just enjoying being free of my conscious mind, I guess. It was pretty impressive. Yeah, bravo. Does this have any application in um, rehabilitation? I, I seem to remember, you know, people with brain injuries, this was a very powerful tool to help them retrain all, yes. all sorts of functions, right? Yes. Tell us a, a little bit about that. A little bit well, I got a current client who's a prime example, um, tumor. Uh, not big, you know, about the size of a, well, not small, about the size of a, uh, a jack's ball. No, no, about that big, big enough back here. Um, so the surgery uh, to address it rendered her with what we would basically describe as a traumatic brain injury as a result of you know, pretty severe trauma that is invasive surgery to the head. And um, consequential loss of hearing uh, in her right ear, uh, balance ruined. Um, I mean, careening into walls. Um, she is now taking tennis classes. Oh, she wasn't a tennis player before. Balance is... Um, the one thing we haven't been able to restore yet is hearing. She's got, uh, there's a mechanical issue there because a portion of the brain was removed. 
Mm. However, the brain can be, yeah, it's kind of cool to think the brain can perform a, a workaround. And what she is aware of now is sounds, not, not what we would identify as hearing, but static and uh, it's progress. So traumatic brain injury, it's ideal, whether, whether the trauma is as a result of a car accident or a surgery. Um, the brain's primary function is to keep itself alive, not to make us smart, attractive, or popular, sorry. <laughs> and it does so by ensuring a consistent and adequate flow of blood and oxygen. Any and everything that the brain encounters that threatens that consistent and adequate flow of blood and oxygen, we define as stress. Some of those stresses, the brain ameliorates over time and goes back to the way it was before. Most of the time, it doesn't, because remember, it, it doesn't really care about you being happy. It, can, it cares about consistent, adequate flow of blood and oxygen. So some of those stresses, traumas that the brain encounters, whether they're physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, or otherwise, don't rectify. What neurofeedback provides is the chance for the brain, as I said before, to reference itself. And then if it so chooses, change those frequencies. Nine times out of 10, it will. What Richard described as it being an easy experience to me, and I, I, I'm speaking from a very narrow perspective of I think what the two of you work in all the time. To me, what it looks like when someone really gets it uh, is they let go. And um, of everything, what you want, what you expect, who you are, what you think, where you are and what matters. You let go of everything. And um, the brain is given a chance to change. Isn't this analogous to kind of like a deep ego dissolved yoga trance or, or we, we did a show on ch chanting last week and or, or really deep meditation where you access this spot. Are you doing that electrically? Yes. It's pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, can you talk about the different brain states that you can access with, uh, with the neurofeedback? So I'm, I'm, um, I'll, I'll define, uh, if I may, in thorough but brief, um, an outline of what, what we speak of when we speak of neurological function. Um, <clears throat> and conveniently, both of you guys professionally use the same terminology that I do. I just get super technical about it just because I'm an electrician, basically, in this case. So uh, from 2 hertz to 41 hertz looks like normal neurological function for a human being. We break those hertz and hertz literally the same hertz as you would use to measure um, the light that's illuminating my face or conveniently the same hertz, hertz that you would use to measure sound in this case we're using it to measure electrical impulse two to four hertz delta basic bodily function um, autonomic nervous system digestion respiration generation of electromagnetic field blah 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 nothing that you'd ever be aware of two to four hertz delta four to six hertz or excuse me four to eight hertz theta um, depending upon where in the brain we're speaking of, unconscious, subconscious, or intuition. Uh, 8 to 12 hertz, alpha, presence, nowhere to go, nothing to do, just to be. But again, it depends on where in the brain we're looking. Uh, 12 to 38 hertz, big range there, 12 to 38 hertz, the betas. Low beta, 12 to 15, beta, 15 to 18, and then high beta, 18 to 38 hertz. So those are all the doing frequencies. I'm thinking of what I'm going to say now. Uh, I took a breath. I'm flapping my hand. You're both listening to me and you're understanding what I'm saying. You just blinked. You you just blinked. You're both aware of it. Yeah, the, the betas, they're all doing frequencies of one form or another. Then at the top of the frequency range, 38 to 41 hertz. Richard likes this frequency. I like it a lot. 
Gamma. Gamma would be, um, so everyone in medicine will call gamma a binding frequency. They'll say it uh, facilitates in transitioning from one brain state to another. Uh, you could think of it like oil in the engine or egg in the cake mix. Um, too much oil and she doesn't go. Too little oil and she doesn't go. Too much egg and you can't get the fork in. Too little egg and you got no cake. Um, <laughs> then there are a few people who would say that we think gamma does something else as well. And um, ESP? Among other things. A binding frequency possibly to not here, not now. Hard to define it other than not here, not now. Everywhere, all the time. Well, the fascinating thing for me as somebody who went through this, yeah. and uh, that kind of seems to be my role uh, on the show is to go through stuff, um, was after a few <laughs> sessions, I could actually uh, connect with Gamma before Nickel turned the thing on. As it would turn on, it would start pinging that I was already in, in Gamma. I got pretty good at it. Although it's possible I just live there, I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me to understand that you do. A great expression of gamma, as it was explained to me years ago, I date myself with this reference, was Michael Jordan, when you would watch him in the middle of heading up for a layup and supposedly his tongue is loose in his head. A great example of gamma expressed is the tongue becomes loose in the head. Another teacher I had early on explained to me when people are speaking in tongues. Oh, wow. Fascinating, fascinating. So, we talked about that in the show before, it, was, it is fascinating. So, what we would recognize um, as a result of your asking about brain states, Richard, is uh, those brain states that we reference delta, theta, alpha, the betas, and gamma. Um, you want different expressions of them in different regions of the brain, depending upon where we're looking and what's going on. Uh, Mark, you referenced a brain mapping that I would do with someone when we first meet. So, uh, the mapping gives us a snapshot of what the brain is doing in each of those regions. It's just a snapshot, but it gives us an idea of what's going on and where. But it's um, an electrical snapshot, correct? Is it correct. Like, a, like a picture or a state, or we're looking at just the electrical output, like the different brain states, brain waves? Correct. To be, uh, thank you. To be clear, so the electrodes are placed on the scalp in each of the different regions that we're checking out. So frontals, centrals, temporals, parietals, and the midline. And we map each of those regions in three different states of awareness. One with your eyes closed, one with your eyes partially open, and one with your eyes open where I would have a task for the individual to perform. I'll have them read a passage out of a book or give them basic mathematical problems to com compute. Just so we see what the brain does in those three different states. It's not how the brain is all the time. But if they're coming in because they've got a complaint, uh, I can't sleep. You know, I plow the back 40, I play chess against Kasparov, I pray my heart out, uh, I go to sleep when my circadian rhythms tell me to, I move into my sleep sanitized environment, it's completely cool, completely dark, it's ideal. And the second I close my eyes, my executive assistant comes running up with their clipboard, I'm so glad you're free, I have just one thing, and now it's four o'clock in the morning, I'm staring at the ceiling going, really? Um, it would be an opportunity for us to look at regions of the brain. And I'm suspecting when someone tells me that we're probably going to the parietals and to see that, oh, look, you shut your eyes and the betas push up. They want to do. And that's exactly what they're not supposed to do. So we would then give the brain a chance to go, hey, parietals, look what you're doing. An example I use, and you've both heard this. I laugh at my own joke. It's terrible. An example of this and why we don't necessarily fix these things sometimes on our own is the joke that you may have heard about the guy who goes to the doctor and says, doc, I don't know why it is, but every time I drink a cup of coffee, I, I get a pain in my eye. And the doctor says, well, 
did you take the spoon out of the cup? My favorite joke. You this would take the spoon out if you knew a spoon was there. If we're talking about a region of the brain that's not in your prefrontal or frontal cortices, it's kind of hard to flex 10.5 hertz if you don't know what it feels like. That's training. In, in training comes neuro, like entrainment, really, right? And you're, you're teaching the brain electrically how to uh, access these different states. Yes, and a word that it looked like your mouth was getting ready to form, and I was going to get was. excited if you did. Neuroplasticity. Yep, that's what I was going to say. Because... Um, Wait, which word? <laughs> I love you, brother. Neuroplasticity. <laughs> the more... So it, it's the most plastic part of our, of, of our body. Um, it is the most dynamic in its change. And like everything else, it's habit-formed. And uh, the more you can break your brain out of habits... And the best way to do that is to teach it a new language, whether the language is music, hello, or another literal verbal language or a skill or a trade that you would take up. But learning something new, completely new, immersion in the new keeps the brain young, keeps it plastic. So does neurofeedback. Can you use your powers for evil? I mean, is this something that the military would be interested in and in some sort of a torture? Does this teach us about pathological electrical states of the brain, like, oh, doing this behavior or consuming this or exposed to that? Do you, do you actually get to see the dark side of, of, of electrophysiology? And um, you weren't ready for that question, huh? Not like you all do. I don't get doorknob disclosures where someone is getting ready to head out and as they're leaving and we had a great session, they turn and look at me and they go, oh, I, I used to strangle cats as a kid. I'll see you next week. I don't get that. I don't get that. Um, I get that all the time. Hmm. What I... Did you say something? What? <laughs> what? So what I do get is um, I get someone who would like to be other than who they are. And the nice thing about neurofeedback is you most completely become yourself. One's brain, you know, me and my identical twin have complete, I don't have a twin, but if I did, we, we look identical, but our brains are completely different. Uh, your, one's brain function is as unique as one's retina, as one's thumb print or any other print. Uh, there is, and there's no replication of it that we know of. Through neurofeedback, you more completely become yourself. So if you happen to be a pathological sociopath, mm, yeah, that may be what blows up in you. You knew that? You can see that? <laughs> Only because I love you like the bird. You haven't even put the electrode on my head. <laughs> so, well, right, right. And he's going to keep his covered so nothing gets to him. I have so, a tinfoil one in the corner there, but I don't want to get off camera. Um, what about spiritual experiences? Oh, yes. We talked about this before the show. When I got started in this, uh, my list of things that I understood I would be addressing would be anxiety, depression, uh, uh, athletic performance, academic performance. Like I say, my father had Parkinson's, so there was a physical tremor and dementia, and I figured it was all the stuff in that world. You know, I've got a list of complaints that I can go after. So I, I set up shop initially in LA, and my first client ever um i had gone through some training and i and i understood what i was going for as we sit down and i'm gonna you know i've got my head ready toward this list of complaints that she's gonna give me one of and i'm gonna go no problem 
And her first words are, I would like, and I quote, I would like to perfect my connection to my source. Mm-hmm. And I, anxiety, no, depression, no, athletic, performance. Uh, and I say, you want to get close to God? She goes, uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm thinking, uh, I don't know. I, uh, I mean, okay. God, the, God, the neuroscientists say God lives in the left angular gyrus. So, you know, you, this is an area you can electrically stimulate during brain surgery and people... Yeah will have a religious experience and yeah. sometimes even a well, I was listen, I was listening to a lecture on the default mode and I called I called Nickel up and I said uh, what do you know about the default mode he got very quiet and then he said uh, uh, you are we were get censored uh, for this again rich what say are we going to get censored for this what's your about no, no it's not I, dirty I, I, hope, I hope so um, Anyway, so he said, well, yeah, that's where you process, um, you know, sort of, a, I forgot what you saw, the, the holistic or some, well, you could say it. I said, well, I'm listening to a guy talking about LSD and I'm wondering if you, can you tap into that? Have you ever done it? And he says, no. I said, would you like a guinea pig? He goes, so that I, of course, became the guinea pig and it was yeah. freaking amazing. Yeah. I mean, it was, a, it was a, it was like a shamanic ride down these different tunnels of, of experience and with all kinds of religious symbols that I didn't conjure up myself. I mean, it was some part of me must have conjured them up because I was in the middle of it. And when I finished, I said, well, why did you turn it off so soon? He said, what are you talking about? We've been doing this 45 minutes. I said, you gotta be kidding me. It's, it couldn't be more than a minute and a half. Yeah that a complete time distortion of, of the experience too. It was truly beautiful, actually. Beautiful. That, letting, that letting go that we spoke of before. Um, but it, it was a different kind of letting go than I had had in other, oh, sure. other um, oh, sure. sessions with It was you. sort of a, like a temporal discontinuity. And, and I've experienced Absolutely. that from uh, yeah. yoga, interestingly, when I, that could, when I was not too fat to, to see my toes. But I've had that experience where, you know, you're, you're in maybe an ego dissolved state. And oh then what you, what, like you just said, a minute to five tops oh. is really an hour. Yes. What is your, where, what is your understanding of one? Can you target that? Can you replicate that? Or is that even figure at all into the goals of your therapy and treatment and, and part Roman numeral two, subsection B of that question is, what does it all mean, Basil? Mm. I think the meaning is up to you. Um, I think the, uh, to, to, to answer your first question, can we? Yeah, uh, it happens pretty much every session with someone. I, I wrap up with a design called Alpha Gamma Synchrony in the left and right parietals. It's an eyes closed design in the, uh, the end user's assignment is to let go, notice their breath, you know, let their attention fall here. Um, if they're comfortable, and here's a hot tip for everybody, by the way, to enhance your stillness practice. If your eyes are open, great. If your eyes are closed, fine. But eyes opened or closed, try quite seriously looking with your eyes at this point while you're in your practice. 
Eyes closed, no one's going to know. Eyes open, just make sure no one's looking at you, not wondering what, what you're doing. But literally, right. have your eyes do this. That's going to be the thumbnail for our show right there. Just beautiful. <laughs> and uh, thank you. <laughs> and, the, uh, and the other thing is I asked. Already. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he already he's screen captured. Oh, my God, I'm getting it. Uh, and uh, the other thing is I asked the individual to notice the tip of their tongue and where it rests between the teeth and the upper gum line and just notice that pressure and to finally be attentive to their breath. And by that, the tide in, the tide out. Uh, we run that design for on average 20 minutes. Invariably, the first couple of times I run it, oh, wow, how long was that? It was about 20 minutes. Nuh-uh. Mm, yeah. Oh my gosh, that was like two or three minutes. No, it was 20 minutes. That part fascinates me because mm -hmm. To me, that is my assumption is that correlates to some targeted state, obviously a deep state, but very rarely does the brain shut off its chronometer. I mean, everybody has had the experience. Um, it stops of, mattering. It doesn't yeah, shut it, off. It just stops mattering. It stops mattering. Okay, I like that. But you know, even when you're asleep, it matters. Your brain will wait. If your alarm clock's set for 7.30, your brain wakes you up at 7.29. How? How? This ain't, how? This ain't sleep. This is, I, I, it's so difficult to define, but I would, I, I, I've always, I've called it going away. The body stays in the room. They're not there. Yeah, but the mind is not local. The brain may be local, but the mind is not local. I mean, how about that? And it and it is set free. Yeah. yeah. It is released from the bounds of the of the this physical means of transportation in the physical yeah, world. I read a I read a book once called Stalking the Wild Pendulum. And it was I don't know if you ever read it. It's Hawk Bento. It was brilliant. He he's a he's a physicist. He's gone now, but so what he said was really fascinating. He said the pendulum is going to go like this. And if you track the movement. As it reaches the end, it slows down yeah. and stops. He says, well, what happens right before it stops? One over one, one over infinity distance, okay? Well, at one over infinity distance, rate times time equals distance is meaningless. And that what happens is that you're everywhere in the universe at once. Yeah. And his hypothesis, which I thought was just incredible, was that that's what psychics do when they get information or what people do when they connect with the collective unconscious. Yeah. They're in that special zone where they're accessing the non-locality of mind. And I just love that idea yeah. that, that there is all, that, that it puts the brain in, in, a, in a space where it's connected to that non-locality of mind and you can access anything. And I, I, I and I, and I experienced something like that when you, you know, hooked me up with the, in the uh, default mode. Well, I, experienced, I experienced it in other places, you know, other places that you connected me to, but not as much as that one. That, yeah. that was a special experience. It was really mm. beautiful. Mm. What's been the most uh, bizarre or uh, intriguing response that you've seen out of you're supposed to say besides rich right well no yeah. while doing the treatment not not who's the most bizarre person you've treated but like what has happened during the treatment that you didn't anticipate 
at the end of a session um uh to well so there's there's a couple ways to to look at that so one of the to be clear training is is the success of training is something that's done over time so this the general number of changes that i'm looking at are things that occur over time great example being the individual i cited before who'd gone through surgery and as a result had no balance and now is is playing tennis um however after one session um i've had a couple of interesting little anecdotes of things occur over time one was um so I never charge for an initial appointment. It's never felt right, fair, or appropriate to, live, to, to bill someone to learn about me and what it is that I do. And at the end of it, you know, we're, I'm going to talk about neurofeedback. I'm going to describe it, but it's so subjective. It's like trying to describe what the color blue tastes like or what, what it feels like to snuggle up on yellow. So I, I say to the individual, look, if, if you'll let me, you know, let me give you an experience of it. Then you'll leave here knowing what it is. And then you'll decide whether it's for you or not. And, uh, so I, I do the same thing with everyone. And we, it's, it's a quieting of, of the parietals and it's, it's first cousin to the alpha gamma synchrony design that I mentioned before. Um, and we all benefit from it. So I, I do this on this gal who's in, um, she's in sales. And uh, we met because she, <laughs> she was trying to sell me and I, I wasn't interested, but she's like, so what do you do? And I told her and she's like, that's interesting. I said, well, come on in. And I gave her an experience. So we did that for 20 minutes. At the end of it, she sits up and uh, she says, I'm really sorry, but I have to excuse myself. It's, it's almost 4.30. I'm sorry, I have to leave. And she bolts. And I'm like, what the heck? That was weird. Uh, and I wrap up and, you know, I'm done. And uh, I go through my end-of-day notes. And I'm getting ready to leave. And I get this call on my phone. And it's her. And I answer. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I had to go. I had to call my broker before he closed up. Uh, I had an epiphany because of the session that I just had with you that I needed to sell part of my IRA to pay off my debt because I am quitting my job tomorrow morning and I'm moving to Hawaii. And she did. <laughs> so that's an example of something I wasn't expecting. So that was kind of what I was, that's really interesting, kind of what I was getting at. Because um, sometimes some people, usually younger, um, have like, if, if have have an ad, a spontaneous out of body experience if enough of their yeah. brain that's working on assembling consensus reality is paused diverted slowed you, you so you, epiphany is actually kind of a better uh outcome i guess than mm -hmm. like a, like an out of body experience but the first time that somebody experiences that, that timeless state, it, that may be the first time in their life that they've ever experienced that. And that you describe it as that timeless state, I think gets to where the three of us want everyone who we have the opportunity to work with to get to, because in that weightless environment for just a moment, the isness that composes us, whether it's the, our gray matter or, or our non-gray matter has a chance to for just a moment, reference itself. And in that moment, make light years of change. Let go. You know, I, I bought this hat because of Tom Petty, actually. And I want to tell you a little story because it is so on point with, with what you're saying. I, I was at a concert and he's playing and I, I love Tom Petty. See, the band is playing some kind of bluesy thing and, and uh, he would have liked that cup, by the way. I think if he was alive. He the colors. The he colors. Would have, he would have bought a bunch of them. The He's colors. On the, on the album cover, too. Hey, anyway. if anyone leaves a comment, maybe we'll send them one. We'll send them one. Um, 
positive or negative. What he says, though, I'll get right on he's that. now calming down and he's telling the story about some psychic that he goes to and she asks him what he wants and he says, I want for one minute for everything to be all right. Hmm. One lousy and the place goes nuts. Yeah. 20,000 people absolutely roaring and he's playing it. Yeah. One lousy minute, one stinking minute. Yeah. that everything would be all right. And I think that's what you're describing. Yeah, shifting consciousness. You know, uh, it was, and I, and as before I met you, but as I experienced the, you know, the, uh, the brain training, yeah, that's what we, that's what I went for. I wanted that, it was more than a minute that I was outside of myself. It was, it was really incredible uh, stress buster. You know, because I get, you know, you, once in a while, I get a little wound up. Yeah, but rarely can you therapeutically or safely or consistently recreate uh, that vacation from yourself. And for different people, different ages, diff whatever, maybe different neurogenetics, mm -hmm. different things work. So mm -hmm. like yoga might might be much more grounding than, awesome. than, yep. than Tai Chi or maybe performing music for someone else. Where does this type you know this type of brain training fit in in other words is it sort of like hypnosis where there's some people are just really good at being hypnotized or is this more analogous to something like tms the transcranial magnetic stimulation where it really doesn't matter what you believe this is going to you know turn on neurons and get these tracks talking or a little know. from column a and a little from column b um you asked before if government agencies are working behind the scenes with it. So actually, uh, I'm not affiliated with either of these uh, or organizations, but I'm happy to say. So the DO, uh, Department of Defense, the DOD has been using neurofeedback for, gosh, about 20 years now. And NIH, the National Institutes of Health, has been working with neurofeedback for like 22 or 23 years now, in both cases for uh, working with people who don't wait for it, tolerate, hold on, pharmaceuticals and to deal with you know with dod dealing with people coming back from conflict who've got ptsd for one reason or another and they can't tolerate the uh, the meds yeah it works like crazy um <coughs> in in terms of the the application um to give someone in uh hands on their life you know in a sense of of a direction um let's say you're working with okay let's take post-traumatic stress disorder just because it's right there um what the brain is given a chance to do is um and you the end user will eventually have a sense of what that feels like um it'll not generate the frequencies of, of electricity that cause uh that distress now it's not going to be invasive in the way that uh, frequency is going to be manipulated if you actually place something on the scalp that is generating an electrical frequency and encouraging the brain to pick it up. This is suggested. It's not invasive. Uh, the brain isn't made to do anything. There's no coercion. You and your prefrontal and frontal cortices have to choose to let go. You got to choose to not flap around in the chair. You got to choose to have your eyes open and not blink, 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 blink. You got to choose to participate in the process. If you do, if you let go, and the more you let go, um, the brain changes. The more it changes, 
typically the end user is happy. And that equals, as we spoke of before, a con consistent and adequate flow of blood and oxygen, which means if you're happier, you're going to get more consistent, more adequate flow of blood and oxygen, you'll do it more. So. I like that. Um, you know, we here at Alternative Psychiatry um, always are looking for the non-pharmacological interventions. And let's just talk about bread and butter stuff like depression and anxiety. Sure. How, you know, uh, either because someone's treatment refractory towards drugs or drugs clearly aren't the problem, uh, pharmaceuticals, or they just don't want, they don't, they just don't want that, mm -hmm. which I see a lot of people that aren't interested in that at all. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of other therapies like, and we've talked about them all on the show. I kind of want people to understand specifically how, like, let's take both depression and anxiety. How would you um, set that person up? You do the mapping and then work to, to treat depression. Mm -hmm. Like what's the electrical correlation to it? Well, so there's a somewhat holistic approach. Um, you know, as I shared before, I, I view the world as boiling down to a chemistry and electricity situation with physics being the driving force between those two. And seriously, if you can look at it scientifically, so if I'm working with electricity, it's going to be impacted upon by the chemistry. And that's going to be what the person puts in their body, whether it's in the mouth, in the nose, however it's getting into your body, that chemistry is going to affect neurological function. Let's say someone, sure, they've got anxiety. In my intake, we're going to look at their eating, sleeping, exercise, and stillness practice. Um, you know, their habits, what they, when they, how they, uh, what sort of exposure to media, um, what time their day begins, what time their day ends, and what sort of physical activity they're involved in, because all of these things affect neurological function. I'm preaching to the choir here, of course, but that becomes part of the intake. Then we're doing um, the brain map, which shows us what's going on and where. And typically, if you've got errant frequencies of electricity, which are going off somewhere and causing what we'll describe as that anxiety, uh, getting that under control, you can oftentimes get a hold of as well by having the person look at eating, sleeping, exercise, and stillness practice habits in combination with neurofeedback. In order to directly measure the effect of those interventions. Yeah. And I'll ask the person to note at the end of a session, you know, how they feel. I'll ask them to note how they feel before. And we will accumulate this, this subjective experience that they have. You know, they won't come in because someone else said they, gee, you seem anxious. People come see me because they don't feel well and they would like to find something that will help them to feel better. We, and, we uh, do a lot. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no. As a result of feeling better, you note, Josh, yeah, because I'm not as anxious. How did that happen? Um, Nickel and I did some work together on trauma patients, and it, and it was quite fascinating. Yeah. Uh, he would be watching the brain function, and when it would reach the point where you could see the patient was accessing the trauma, mm. it was fascinating. He'd be able mm. to back it off, and I would dialogue mm -hmm. with the patient cool. at that moment. You know, and we actually even had. Um, uh, and medical intuitive on a couple of those uh, meetings that were a Adrian quite quite amazing uh, meetings. Um, Nickel, do you do you encounter trauma stuff a lot? Not personally, I mean. <laughs> We've all got something. Um, another you, way of looking. How do you conceptualize it through the brain 
so training. another way of, of, of looking at what the practice of training your brain uh, could be described as, since you know we're not going to uncover the diabolical mastermind criminal genius if that person isn't there. If you more completely become yourself through neurofeedback, we could also look at it as peeling away onion layers. When you peel away a layer of onion, there might be something there that they didn't know was there. I've, I've had a session finish where I bring the lights up and the person's got tears flowing out of their eyes because they're now thinking of the pet they buried when they were eight and they had never dealt with that trauma. Um, it happens. Sometimes I, was in, on, I was in on one of those sessions with that young man who got the memory of being molested as a five-year-old yeah. that he had, I could never explain why this guy's life was so uh, um, difficult. Yeah. And, you know, the thing of it was he, he came out of the brain training crying, but he didn't say what he was crying about. And he didn't see me for six weeks. And then he came in and he changed his life. And it was pretty, he said, well, when, you know, when I met with your friend, I got the memory of being molested. I didn't want to tell you. I don't want to tell anybody. Mm -hmm. so I said, well, what do you want to do with it? Because well, I need to tell my parents. He was about 18, 19, I think. I don't remember, something like that. Early, late teens, early 20s. So I brought the parents in and it was the key moment for the rest of his life. They rallied around him. It was really beautiful. And I just, I started talking to him again. He's, he's out west somewhere now. And uh, I, I called the wrong number and I, I got his mother and she just started talking about that day and how much it changed his life. and. Uh, you know, but so that's feedback actually for you too, because I don't think without the session with you, he would have ever gotten to that material. Um, it was really profound. The, the other thing, Nickel once said something to me that I don't think I would have gotten without this process. He says, you know, Rich, you're sort of a, a neurosurgeon in that you have to peel back the spiritual experiences from mm -hmm. the trauma, mm -hmm. which are encoded very similarly. And uh, I know great lines when I steal them. I mean, when I hear them, um, and I've used that line a lot, you know, that that, that is true. The job. It's true. That it's both of you. you. Think about it. Yeah, I, I call you a psychic surgeon, but neurosurgeon, whatever. That's fine. I always thought that you said I was a Jedi mind. I did Jedi mind tricks. Jedi yeah, mind but, tricks, yeah. Yeah, that too. I got, um, a, I got another question for you. The EEG, yeah. is it just looking at cortical activity or subcortical activity, deep brain structures? I probably should know the answer to this, but I don't. Oh, okay. I thought you were setting me up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just looking at cortical and subcortical. Um, you can get a sense of the more profound activity, but there's so much happening on the, on the top of the hive. You know, and by the way, much of what's on the surface of going on there has deeper corollaries. So if you're seeing errant high activity, chances are good. It's, it's going further inside that, that mass. Um, perhaps the wrong use of the word mass, nevertheless. Well, the other thing that confuses me is I think, I think generally people know about brain waves. They may not certainly know the different states and the frequencies and everything, but they understand the concept of brain waves. Mm -hmm. And I think erroneously people think, oh, if I'm, let's just say I'm in, I'm in beta. Um, they, they erroneously think the entire brain's in beta. Mm -hmm. That's not true. I mean, there are certain regions of the brain that might be operating at a different frequency. How do you how do you tease that out? How do you separate that out? 
the studies that we have all been involved in, we the species of human beings, since we realized that there's something going on up there that's super complex, uh, break down into super specific uh, regions that are responsible. The broadest thumbnail that I can offer would be this. So prefrontals, frontals, uh, personality, executive command. If we have a computer or a calculator, no motion, the happy accountant uh, right here. Um, the brilliant artist tortured and going to create something fantastic right here. Um, physical awareness, physical body right here. Memory, speech and language, oral, that is to say sound processing right here. Um, the parietals would be not here, not now, not in your body, not in your personality. And then the occipitals, right at the backs of the head, we would say 90% of their job is the processing of light. That broad thumbnail would also tell us you want, by and large, betas on the left side, alpha on the right side, betas in the front, alpha in the back. So alpha is presence and being, betas are doing. You want more doing in the front, more being in the back, more doing on the left, more being on the right. You don't want to pour gas on the creative artist, otherwise they're going to wind up going and being super unhappy. You don't want to make your, your active side just sit down and have a massage because then nothing gets done. Uh, when something's wrong, when something's out of balance, when someone says, oh, I function best on beta. Yeah, no, you don't want beta globally. But what they're probably referring to is they've got a, a, a nice, generous uh, expression of beta, primarily low beta happening in the left frontal. They probably have a little bit of low beta happening in their right central, antithetical to what we would normally think. But the central cortex, the right central cortex, we also think of as the sensory motor cortex. And here, that low beta, 12 to 15 hertz, we think of as the sensory motor response. And it would be that awareness. Oh, I, I might need to pee in a little while. Gosh, dinner in a few hours, what would I like to have? That sensory awareness. You know, I feel like I could do well with going for a run, that sort of thing. Um, so when you speak of, or when someone speaks of an awareness of the frequencies of their brain, yeah, it's not a blanket global expression. It's different frequencies in different parts of the brain to support what that part of the brain does well in. That, they get it? They do it? Hot diggity. I dig it. I dig it. I got a thousand questions. But hit Rich, it. why don't you hit them up with, hit them with a real hard one, really toughy. I, I don't have tough questions unless 42? I'm 42? What? Life, the universe, and everything? 42, isn't it? 42? Uh, okay. Do you work with addictions? <laughs> I do. Uh, not, oh, so what do you do with that? Tough How question, do you, okay. you answer. Well, hang on a second. If, um, when a person comes in, um, if they're actually using, can you still work with them at that moment? Or do you, they have to be clean when they come in? Ah, good and fascinating. Um, so take it out of the realm of legal or illegal. Let's just say drugs. Mm -hmm. I worked with someone who was on four times the maximum adult dose of a pretty serious psychotropic um, pre prescribed by a, by a professional. <laughs> well, not you, um, but uh, not, yeah, right. And uh, this guy, I uh, <laughs> that way. And I, um, he wanted to get off of it. Um, so we trained him to get off of it. It took a while. And uh, the same applied to someone who was on um, 15 different meds, uh, some of which were prescribed and some of which were inherited. 
Um, and some of them were opiates. So legal, illegal, it's the brain on something. What I learned early on, and a colleague of mine um, and I in pushing thoughts around recognized, gee, it would be good to have that person who's on whatever they're on, go consult a physician's desk reference. Crack that PDR open and look at the side effects, all the symptoms of over-medication on that thing that they're on. Because as we train, they may start realizing that that medication is too strong. Now, if you're using something that's not prescribed other than by yourself, and you really want to get off of it, again, look for, oh my gosh, I usually have to take X to go there, and now it's taking half of X or a quarter of X. So can you be on something and train? Yes. Is it optimal? Uh, probably not. But if the alternative to not being on it is you jump out a window, please stay on it. And let's... Or, or just like you said, that's an extremely powerful intervention. If you can reduce someone's reliance on, on a, you know, a tranquilizer or, yeah. or pain medicine, that yeah. is always the goal. Yeah. Um, except doctors just hope that mysteriously their pain or anxiety gets better so that they can try to go down if they're really yep. aggressive they get frustrated and yep. force that person down rarely is there a discussion of complementary and alternative methods or techniques to get people off of this because let's be honest most of the people that come to see me aren't naturopathic wellness minded people they're people yep. that have tried pretty much everything and failed tried all of these damn pills done the regular psychiatry rigmarole. So that's a tremendous thing. If you can decrease someone's reliance, that's an extremely hard thing to do. I mean, people will go up to Tampa and be put under anesthesia for three days to try to get off of meds. That's a heroic oh, I intervention. Don't I know. Um, neurofeedback seems like a, it's got just a wide range of uses and still a lot we don't know. I'm mindful of um, how I present my understanding of it because I recognize it could easily be misidentified as a panacea or worse, I'm a snake oil salesman. And that scared the daylights out of me when I got started in this because I thought I, I, you know, I need to be squarely in the realm of science with this. And that's why the, the winning combination for me was my father. I knew who I brought to get his brain trained and it was not my father. I knew who we had back two weeks later when I was dealing with someone who called me by my name and asked me how my wife was and asked me what my son was up to. And it's like, oh my God, who are you? <laughs> it was great. And I realized I'm in, I'm, I'm doing this. Um, I didn't recognize uh, the myriad things that could be addressed. And as, as, as you referenced before, so when we spoke before the show began, um, I don't know where the corner of the room is. I think we're what what we what we would be exploring is what are the limits of our brain's functions. You know, um, we understand that an offshoot of transcendental meditation, um, Sita Yoga, uh, allows someone to, in a meditative posture, so in lotus, meditate with their eyes open, and the Sita Yoga practitioners call what happens next hopping. And what we would say it looks like to the naked eye is the person's body defies gravity and they float in the air and everything in my science head goes, that's not possible, that's baloney. I would use another term, but anyway, it's not possible, but it's happened. Uh, what makes that happen? How is that possible? It must have something to do with the brain. I don't know where the corner of the room is. I've had people come in with things they wanted to accomplish where I'm going, uh, yeah, okay, we'll see what happens. 
I'm going to perform a brain map and we'll train like normal. And um, things happen that don't fall into that category of anxiety, depression, athletic performance, academic performance. And I, and I also can't explain how those people find me. Oh. Yeah, go figure. I think when you want it, whatever it is, you're going to find the things and the people who are, who are going to help you to get to it. Now, as it pertains to addiction, I don't want to go too far down that path, but it, it bears repeating here. You're going to get off something if you want to get off of it. You'll find what you need to find to get you off of it. If you're more interested in entertaining the experience of being on it, but looking like you want, yeah. So, Well put, well put. Okay. I think your, your passion probably comes from like your successes that with your own father and the treatment through that. And you can tell that mm. you still hang on to that passion and, Mm. and caring for people and, and helping them in this way and it's, it's such a gift to get to help it's such a gift to get to play and, and it's it's not something that you know is is commonly known so that was uh we appreciate you coming on and talking about it our goal is to raise awareness and uh we'll certainly include your contact information in the link below here um i will put uh jean-luc himself on that Make it so number one. Don't you forget me. Oh yeah, him too. <laughs> and tell me Thank about you your know. mother. Now, maybe we can, uh, we can have a part two. On, on I'd be happy show. to. I'd be happy. Wow. Uh, yeah, Nickel, you're the best. Um, he really, you know, talking about passion, he really cares deeply about not just the process, but about everybody who goes to see him. So. Mm. So any I, trusted, I trusted him enough to send my son. It's the company I, I keep. There yes. you go. So Mark, do we have somebody interesting for next time? We do. I want to thank Nickel for being here. We learned a lot. Like I said, his contact information is below. You can call our office and learn more about it and get in touch with him. Um, but yeah, next week, make sure to join us. We are having the renowned bioethicist, Dr. Kenneth Goodman on to talk about a little, uh, I don't want to say controversial, but important bioethical implications of COVID in the way humans have behaved surrounding the pandemic. Uh, Does that mean we're going to be off YouTube by the end of the next episode? probably are, but we're going to cover from masks to It'd vaccines and, and all of the bioethical implications as a different like facet of discussion about whether masks are good or bad, or masks are Democrats or Republicans, or or vaccines are for everyone or no one, or do they carry microchips or uh, baby fetal DNA? Those are the big questions. So join us next okay. week. Okay, I, I think I will. Oh, I get to do it with you, so I'm gonna do it anyway. Anyway, everybody out there, all our non-ordinary mind people. Remember, be, I don't think we rehearsed this with Nickel. Oh, you have to say Talk B well when I hit when I hit four. We right now, and what am I supposed to say? Be be well, but I already be well. Be well. One, two, three. Be well. Be well. Be well. Almost. Pretty good. Keep working on it. All right. Time Thank you, Nickel. Everybody. We hope we'll see you again real soon. Thank you, gentlemen. See All you, right. Mark. Thank you.